Thank you. All right. We'll get ourselves going here with everybody on this fine July morning. And uh, make sure we're recording. I'll go ahead and uh, I think we're all good, Rick. You'll just have to edit out a few minutes, but uh, so we are still in this passage of Romans two, four, and five, and um, I think you'll see after this morning. This is a bit of a a a pattern that we're going to see in this book of Romans with with Paul and his writing style and. Uh, We'll, we'll dig into that, but I first I thought it would just be helpful to just kind of exhort us a little bit um, before we pray. But I, f I first want to just read this passage and then share a few thoughts and then read again from Paul in the book of Colossians just to exhort us a little bit around this passage. The, uh, Romans 2, 4 and 5 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And then in comes this, this follow-on thought. So you really do have to separate verse 4 from 5. Because verse 4 is absolutely precious when you really dig into it. And I think that's what's really captured my soul this the last two or three weeks. As I have really pondered this verse 4 in light of my own life and my own walk with the Lord. Um, now for the last 17 years. It, 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 should, it should completely reshape the way we disciple people. This verse, this one verse, uh, I just want that to grab a hold. It should completely reshape the way we disciple and evangelize everybody the Lord brings into our life. Because what is it based on? <laughs> the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience. And as we looked at over the last couple, three weeks, just look at the, how the Lord has put that on display with Israel, right? I think this passage is really a great guardian for our own souls, our own hearts, our own minds to guard against ending up back in Romans 2, 1, 2, and 3. Right? I don't know about you guys, but teaching Romans 2, 1, 2, and 3 was about as convicting as a passage can get. Who are you, O oh man, to judge someone when the very things you judge from your knowledge of right from wrong, that person, you do yourself. Who are you, O oh man? If that doesn't convict and drive us to Romans 3.20 to shut our mouths and let God do the convicting work, 
And don't put yourself in the seat of judgment. But don't lose sight that although we are not to judge in that manner, we are to be the means by which the word of God comes into the life and the soul of a person and does the work with the Holy Spirit to convict them, to judge them, right? All in the Lord's timing. But think how often we put ourselves in the seat of judgment, particularly in these days where the society we're living in is growing more and more rank, right? It's a good guardian to keep our minds and our mouths and our words on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Those three words give you every opportunity in the world to talk about the Lord and our sinfulness in a way that isn't the beat him over the head with the repent of your sin, right? I'm sorry, but, but I'll just say it that way, right? I, there's a place for that. But this passage shows us, show them the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. And that is to change the way you think about the God whom you're rejecting. Right? That, that, that's Paul's whole point. And then as you see in verse 5, you see the but. And you'll see this much throughout the book of Romans, these transitions. But because, so here comes the causal factor of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when the righteous judgment will be revealed. And we'll spend a lot of time on that this morning and then next week. Just let's let if we are to be conformed to the Lord and this passage tells us that the Lord is kind and forbearing and patient in the face of Israel and the us should we not manifest the very same things in our lives towards the most vile person we've ever met right that's Paul's point. And it, it's in the Lord's providence that, that the Lord has brought one of those most vile people right into the Tina and I's lives through another couple who live right next door to this man. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's like the Lord's just sitting there going, see, we're in the classroom. This is real. This is real, right? I couldn't help but think about you know, Paul's entire exhortation in Romans 1, right? We see these facets of God's goodness in both the creation on this privileged planet, if you've ever studied it carefully, or let those who have studied it carefully teach you the, the absolute incalculable uniqueness of this planet in the midst of our entire solar system. In the, in, the, in the entire expanse, this planet, I believe, has 27 factors, all of which are unique to this planet, can be found nowhere else, that are absolutely essential to both allow for and sustain life, this planet. 
And yet out there, with all that nothingness of life like we know it, is this perfect symphony of mass creation, right? And the Bible says that that creation is stretched out, right? Stretched out. And what do you think they found as they began to get the technology necessary to look at this massive system we're in? It's stretching out, literally. It's moving. <laughs> Stunning, right? With this thought in mind, I want to point your hearts to the Lord, and I want to take you to a place in Colossians 1, 3 through 6, and then 13 through 23 to just stir our hearts around this. Colossians 1, 3 through 6 says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, that very peculiar love that we enjoy as saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, first, or the Colossians 1, 3 through 6, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This beautiful revelation of himself to us through the word of God. And then look at Colossians 1.13 through 23. And I would offer that there is no more grand presentation of this glorious God, of this glorious gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ than what these 10 verses reveal to us. This is what they've done. Verse 13 of Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption in Christ, right? The forgiveness of sins, what he's accomplished on the cross. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one we can see. He is the God and the life and the truth in which we can see through the Gospels and the rest of the writings. He is the invisible God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. We know these things, but ponder them deeply. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, right? Even the wicked ones that are currently shaping everything that we're dealing with in this world today. Christ is the creator. And we'll see why in a minute. All things were created through him. And what does it say? And for him. So that he may put every enemy under his feet. Despite how far he lets them go with their hatred towards him. Right? And most importantly, 
so that he and he alone will get all the glory and all the praise. And when you look at this passage, just just tell me, what role do we play? (laughs) What role do we play, right? Verse 17, and he, he is before all things, and in him, here's the universe holding together, here's the atom holding together, all things hold together. You want to know why things hold together that shouldn't hold together? There's why. And you want to know why it's described at the end of the times when this whole place is eviscerated? Because the restraints are gone. So that we will understand this verse in a way we've never even been able to comprehend it. Right? He just lets it go. Because he's holding it all together right now. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body. The church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. And there it is. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That very cross that the world who is storing up wrath looks at and says, yep, I don't need that. I'm just fine. I don't need that. And I sure don't need a God that would do that. We often see that as our cue to walk away. That is our cue to teach. Like Paul's teaching here, all the way through this book. But far too often, we've already put them off so much that they wouldn't even begin to have the rest of that conversation with us, right? Far too often. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, if you had any doubt, right? 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Wondrous truth. But here's Paul's constant exhortation that we also hear from John in his epistles. If indeed you continue in the faith. What's he saying there? Is your faith for real? Is it built on what I've just shared with you? Or is it built on some sense of your righteousness? And not his. Right. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Just beautiful truths in that Colossians introduction let's pray father we thank you for this blessed time to gather and open up your word and be exhorted and as we will see prosecuted 
and declared guilty so that every mouth may be shut and there is no defense. But there is a way. There is a way out of that sentence that we are so rightly due. And we just praise you, our triune God, for providing that way through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the so much more that flows out of that. And so we just take this time to praise you, Lord, for your condescension, for your kindness, for your forbearance, and for your patience. And we do this always in the most blessed name we will ever know, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to just kind of walk you through the way Paul unpacks and leads us up to this passage. You particularly see in Romans 1, 19 and 20. So we're going to do a little bit of a walk back just to get ourselves familiar. But I think it's helpful, right? So I'll just read it for you. Romans 1, 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So important to understand, right? That within the, the conscious awareness of every human being, there is that realization that there is a God. We may have suppressed it. We have found ways to try to sear it away, but it is there. And Paul just recognizes that that is, the, that is the well that we're trying to prime up out of this individual, right? That's why he always went to creation when he was dealing with the Gentiles, right? It's so important that we understand. And then we find that that, that, that very expression of God in these divine attributes, kindness, forbearance, and patience, do they not give you a sense that there's a clock running? Right? His kindness, undeserved. His forbearance, undeserved. His patience, undeserved. They're all, it's a clock. Right? And I think in this book, particularly in this section, we, we get a view of that clock. And the first step for the unsaved humanity is the point at which God reveals to us in light of this revelation he's given us that our thinking is futile. Our effort to make that God that we know exists go away in our effort to live in this world comfortably is a futile effort. That's what he teaches us in really that, that first section of this passage, particularly in Romans 1.21. This is the first point in that timeline that an individual is headed towards a very dark place. You can literally understand that by looking at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and what? Their foolish hearts were darkened and the darkness increased right there. And that individual is on the slippery slope. This is the first mark in that timeline. 
Now think about the mass of humanity that rejects God. They're on this continuum. We've talked about this at length, right? We then see this next big piece as we are, as we are uh, given over to this feudal thinking, darkened hearts, we begin to see the idolatry of self and the unrestrained desire to violate everything God has made pure. And it shows up most prominently in sexual immorality as a perversion of the man and the woman and the role he's given us in that blessed covenant of marriage. And is that not just perverted in every facet of society today, no matter where you might go, right? This then drives you right to Romans 128, where you see that, that that behavior eventually gives over to a point where, where that individual and that society has now tested God. They've said, no thanks, I reject you, God. And at that very moment, we become God. <laughs> And you see what is rampant, right? That's Romans 1.28. So you see how Paul is kind of working his way through these kind of points in the abandoning wrath of God. Verse 28 of Romans 1 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They can't even think rightly about God. Now pay attention to this because God has taken that ability away from them that is not the god most people show up on sunday morning to worship because there is very little fear of the lord and if that passage doesn't put the fear of the lord in your hearts for your loved ones and those that we seek as the lost i don't know what will because it is god doing this okay it is god and this is this is a a fatal point in this process. And, and I believe that it's at this point where you so often see pastors who at one point in their ministries may have been very sound pastors, very good with the word of God. And as the crowds grew and the world began to notice them, all of a sudden you see this downward slide to the point where they'll proclaim the very things God condemns and condone them right in their very church and welcome that into the church. Do we see that all over the place, right? This is the mark of that abandoning the wrath of God. We know this. But I want to have you take a look at this 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 4. And I want to give you the means by which God does this. Blinding. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 through 4 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, because we don't deserve it, right? And let me just, I do this all the time, so I appreciate your patience, but have you ever taken the time to prepare a gift for someone that, that you just really devoted time and effort and heart to build, making that gift, preparing that gift, and you give that gift to someone and they just utterly neglect that gift. They could care less about that gift. 
Do you see the picture here? I think that's precisely why Paul uses the language having this ministry by the mercy of God. Can you imagine today? At this very moment, the stuff people call worship, what is being condoned right in the very so-called church of God when this is supposed to be a ministry given to us out of God's mercy to us, and that's what we've done with it? But look where Paul goes in verse 2. But we have renounced, because this is how it shows up, disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And there it is. There is a clear indication that you are on a slide, not to get closer to God, but you are moving farther away from God. As you begin to look at God's word and the plain truth of God's words and say, nope. No, people aren't going to like that. I'm going to present it this way. I'm going to present it that way. I'm going to remove this part of the gospel and that part of the gospel. And pretty soon we've got a real pithy little three-sentence thing that's guaranteed to get people clicked into something, right? But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Meaning, God's watching. Are you telling the truth of this individual? Do you not realize that the most loving thing you can do for a person headed straight to hell is kindly, forbearingly, patiently love them with the truth? Right? Love them with the truth. The most hateful thing you can do is to refuse the very thing they desperately need. But yet we, we do that very thing, and I say we very loosely, right? And that, that's Paul's point here. But look at verse 3. Remember, God gives them over to a debased mind. But here comes verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. There they are. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, what do you draw away from that when you look at Romans 1.28? Well, wait a minute. I thought it was God who blinded them. And here it's saying it was Satan who blinded them. Are they both in Scripture? So what's the answer to both? Yes. God uses the instrument of Satan. He is submitted to everything God has given him to do in his eternal decrees. And he is doing that absolutely according to God's decree to him. It's a very comforting thought when we look at the face of so many absolutely dominated by Satan today. The precursor or the causal effect to that work of Satan is Romans 128 because they've been on this slide of rejecting God. And that's why Paul brings this beautiful passage in Romans 2.4 at the end of all of this. Don't forget about the kindness, forbearance, and patience of God with these people because as quickly as I turn them over, I can transfer them right into the kingdom of God. Just like the thief on the cross and everybody, every one of us that know the Lord. Right? 
Because this is a, this, much of this wrath is a temporal wrath that leads to an eternal wrath, but it is temporal until that very day that person goes to stand before the Lord. And that is our ministry of mercy and opportunity, right? Because the final point is verse 5. The, the final point in this is that point at which the storing up of wrath for yourself on the day of wrath has come. And now it is too late, right? It is too late. So that we will be constantly focused on this blessed truth of God's riches of his kindness. I want to shift now with that in mind to the wrath of God as Paul presents it. And then we'll, we'll drill into it a little bit deeper next week. But go back to Romans 1.18, how Paul opens this. And you're going to see uh, part of the reason why I, I, I so want to draw these things to your attention is so that you, the book of Romans through this study for me personally has just been like a brand new book. Because as you begin to see the pattern of the way Paul writes and then unpacks, he brings you to a point and then he unpacks it. He brings you to a point and then he unpacks it. He brought us to a point in Romans 1.18 after his presentation of the glorious gospel. And he starts with what? For the wrath of God. There's his starting point. Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth the truth, hide the truth, all that tampering that we were talking about, right? All that tampering that we were talking about. And then you come to Romans 2, 5. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, this is that cause of the suppression of the truth, unwillingness to submit to the word of God and therefore God himself, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So he, here, here's the bookends, right? He starts with the wrath of God has been revealed. That's what we're seeing in society today. And it's leading to Romans 2.5, which is the final point at which that society, one person at a time, perishes without the saving gospel in their soul. And they stand in judgment. And all of that rejection of God's kindness and forbearance and patience that have been stored up. Do you see what he's storing? He's actively being kind and forbearing and patient. And their rejection of that, every step of that way, is storing up the wrath of rejecting that kindness, forbearance, and patience. Right? I don't mean to be redundant. But I think this is the point. This is the life we have to be living if, in fact, we're going to be conformed to our Lord Jesus Christ, which is right where he picks up in Romans 12, 1, when he transitions out of 12, 11 chapters of theology into what we should now do based on all of what I've taught you in the previous 11 chapters, right? Now, I want to... I want to I want to shift because I think one of the every commentary I've read and there have been many and about 5 of them are just treasures, right? 
they all have this pointed outwardly, externally. And Tina and I were talking about this this morning. Who's Paul writing this letter to? The church in Rome. That church that's full of Jews and Gentiles, mature and immature, right? He's writing it to them. He's writing it into the church, right? And there's so, most certainly an application of how we view our world, but he's writing this into the church. So we ought to be starting, as the Lord does, with where does judgment come? The household of God first, right? So I want, I want to turn us inwardly for a minute and think about the responsibility and the very convicting reality of how often we fail which should lay us on our knees and our faces all the more to go to the Lord, that we will just be absolutely saturated with this kindness, forbearance, and patience. Because I, I will confess, I am not far too often. I have had to go right to my Lord with that. And what is most unsettling is some of these toward I am not patient and kind and forbearing are some of those that I love the most or I least claim to love the most. Right? And I found it very interesting that at the end of a three-year ministry where these men walked together, lived together, ate together, slept together, did everything together, no one knew that Judas was the one. Was that because Judas was such a master deceiver? Yes. Was that because the Lord didn't know what he was going to do? Not at all. Was it because the Lord treated him just as kindly and forbearingly and patiently all the way to the very moment of his final act of deception? There's the picture, right? But there's a warning I want us to feel as we walk away from this morning. And I want you to go to Matthew 18, and I'm keying off of this notion that the danger for us to, in our desire to be liked by individuals and liked by our people at work and liked by this place and that place, we will tend ever dangerously to suppress the truth. That's the indictment. I want you to look at the dangers of this and, and allow yourself to be convicted over this, right? I'm just sharing the love with you guys. Matthew 18, 1 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? We all know the backstory on that and how self-centered that question was. But go to verse 5 and look at how the Lord unpacks his response. Matthew 18, 5 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Beautiful, right? Now here comes the bomb. Verse 6, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, there's two things I want to put in your mind. John 8.31 says so clearly. A passage we can't lose sight of. 
John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews, now listen to this, who had believed him? And you immediately think there's believers. They believed him. They believed what he said. They saw what he did. They believed him, right? But look at what Jesus says. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So do you see the continuum that Jesus is showing us? Because we don't know the condition of that, quote, believer's heart. But a life of discipling that individual in the word of God, rightly divided, the full truth of Colossians, what we just read this morning, of what God has done and where you come from, as that is absorbed by that soul who has the spirit of God in them, they will just absorb that and absorb that. They'll rub up against it and sparks will fly, but they will, in fact, abide in that truth over time. And there's what John teaches us all the way throughout his epistles. That requires a devotion to discipleship. Because you can't get that in a simple little exchange with someone, right? You can't. One of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And this is the note that I wrote the other morning. Better to have been cut off in the most horrific of ways than to sin against God in this way, causing one of these little ones to stumble, which may be someone who simply wants to know the truth of God, the truth of Christ, the truth of sin, the truth of why my life is such a struggle, the truth of why is the world so messed up, now, I, I gotta, I, I'm just going to speak from how often do we cause that person, maybe because of where they come from, maybe because of the way they're dressed, maybe because of the way they live, but if there is a sincere desire to learn these things that have been expressed to you, and we are so busy being stuck in Romans 2, 1 through and 3, where we're judging them, as opposed to discipling them. We are right in this passage, causing one of these little ones to stumble. Do you see what I'm saying? You've, I hope you feel how serious this is in our daily walks. And I, 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 it, immediately I began thinking about some of these old-timey saints that are so beautifully sanctified. And if you really pay attention, they are very careful about what they say. You will literally see them stop their mouth from what's coming out of their mind by some recess of the heart that says, you better pull that back, right? Because they realize how easy it is for us as believers to cast down our noses a self-righteousness that is putting off of someone who is genuinely desiring to know the things of the Lord, right? And so goes the church today, right? So much of the church today.
I want to end with what Paul is trying very faithfully through the work of the Holy Spirit to prevent. Do you not realize that all of this kindness, forbearance, and patience was meant to lead you to repentance? A completely changed way of which you think about God, right? There are many with their religious robes which they sewed and they made and they put on. And we find them in Matthew 7, 21. And it is not until this day that they realized, you can hear the shock in their voices, that all their righteous works were filthy rags to the Lord. And the Lord describes it this way in Matthew 7, 21. And these, dear brothers and sisters, are the people that we encounter who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I'm good with the Lord. Oh yeah, Mark and I saw them all the time in the prisons, right? I'm okay. Donald Trump himself says, I'm okay. I mean, God, look how successful I've been. Have you ever heard that interview? I'm sorry, I don't mean to... But, but it, I'm not getting political. I'm getting about just how deceived people are. I'm pretty successful. I've been a pretty good guy. I think I'm pretty good with the big guy. you got to watch that interview. Not because of whether you like or don't like Donald Trump, but because that is precisely what people believe to be the gospel today. That is precisely the person Jesus is addressing in this passage. And that is precisely why we have to go underneath that and present the full truth of the gospel that begins with this kindness and forbearance and patience it was meant to lead us to repentance because you have no idea the eternal state you're actually in. So Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And you can ask, okay, well, what is the will of my Father? Paul says it beautifully in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I don't think as my Reformed theology and the sovereignty of God, I don't think that I have ever fully appreciated how God can reveal to us his desire for all to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved, right? And yet, harmonize that with he has to elect and choose until you realize that it is man who is responsible for the hardening of his heart in the face of a lifetime of God's, I keep saying it, kindness, forbearance, and patience, so that they are without excuse. And if it weren't for his intervening work, giving us that new heart, we would never ever see that about God, right? 
So that's how you harmonize this passage from Paul. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That proper time is God's time when that person you may know to be the most debased person you could ever imagine and your desire is to stay as far away from them like that thief on the cross, that perfect time that the gospel comes in and it's actually heard and understood. Can you imagine if you're one of those people who give them a false gospel? That's the millstone, right? William Grenall, Jeffrey and I know his devotional very well, 1660 circa, says this about this passage. When I consider how the goodness of God is abused by the greatest part of mankind, I cannot be of his mind that said the greatest miracle in the world is God's patience and bounty to an ungrateful world. Isn't that the truth, right? Now, go to Romans 5, and I want to see how Paul picks us up out of this as he works his way through how are we then saved in Romans 3, 21 through 28. But Romans 5, 1, 6 is such a precious passage, particularly for those who have come through their walk with the Lord in a very long, dark season of being convicted over their sin, right? Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, given everything we've just talked about, we have peace with God. God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, he makes the peace. It is because of him. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, right into the throne room of God, in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because it's coming, right? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love, here it is, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, here comes that time dimension. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that is the supreme, efficacious work of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago being applied to Lynn the moment she came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and this love with which they have loved us and we now have to go and love in kindness, forbearance, and patience. You see how all that is so so intertwined. And even his wrath revealed right now is the eternal kindness of God to, to produce that fear of the Lord, to drive us straight back to 
what am I going to do? Right? So we'll pick up and we'll look at the wrath of God next week. And then we will kind of move out into Paul's um, justification, frankly, for everything he just said.